It is great to be with you today. I have been looking forward to this. I have known of this congregation for a long time. Your, uh, the good news about this congregation goes far and wide, and you are much appreciated in many places. And I'm just honored to be with you this weekend. I am humbled to be able to uh, stand before you and to talk about the Word of God. Something special about this place, you have a great congregation here. You have a very strong, strong eldership. You know, sometimes when you're a part of a congregation, you don't realize what you have when you are there. Uh, and I want you to know what you have here is a very solid, strong, sound eldership leading, caring about this congregation, shepherding this flock. And I did not realize, and I guess I came to it late, I did not realize that there was a brotherhood sweepstakes going on a few years ago and that you all won and you got the two best preachers in the brotherhood in this place. I, I, I didn't realize there was a sweepstakes, but Palm Beach Lakes would have tried to get into it, but apparently we lost. Uh, and you got the two very best preachers in this place uh, and Neil and Hiram and their good wives and uh, you are tremendously blessed and I am just honored to be able to be with you today. No doubt you have heard, maybe you have sung it yourself a number of times. That children's song that's sung in so many Bible classes uh, with our children, in order to help us to learn and remember certain things and certain names, sometimes we put it to a tune. And it really helps with the children to be able to remember the names of those who are Jesus' followers. When we are able to sing, Jesus called them one by one. You know how that goes, don't you? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Do you all know that song, or is that just a Florida thing? All right, you know that song, right? Now, we probably sing it different down there than you all sing it up here in Kentucky. I mentioned on Friday night, we probably sing it right down there, and maybe you all don't sing it. I don't know. I don't know who sings it right. Uh, but Jesus called them one by one. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And that song has been helpful to me even as an adult when I'm trying to think, who am I forgetting in this? And then I just start singing the song, oh, Bartholomew, yep, all right. I didn't have Bartholomew on my list. But it gets to the end of that song and it says, and they all followed him. I wonder if Jesus were to come in 2023 and if he were to start calling his disciples in 2023, and somebody made up a song about all of the names of the disciples that were following Jesus, I wonder if our name would make it into that song. And I wonder if at the end of the song it could say, and they all followed him. This morning we're talking about Discipleship. We're talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And that word may have different meanings to different people. That idea, that concept of discipleship, that may seem like a vague term and I'm not really sure what that means. And sometimes you go and look it up and there's different people who have different ideas of what that means. And so I thought what we do today is just go to the Bible and let Jesus describe for us and explain to us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So I want to invite you to get your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 4 and the text that was read for us a little while ago. And we're just going to kind of camp out here a little while in Matthew chapter 4 and use this as a guiding uh, passage for us to understand what it means 
in the first century on that occasion in Matthew chapter 4 and what it means today for us to be a disciple. And I'm just going to divide this subject, this talk today into two parts. The first part is we're going to talk about Jesus' part in our discipleship. And once you figure out the first part is going to be Jesus' part in our discipleship, I would gather that you're pretty good at figuring out what the second part of the lesson is going to be. It's going to talk about our part in our discipleship. But what was Jesus' part? What did Jesus do to bring about these disciples, these individuals who were going to follow after him? And I want to suggest to you a number of things that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus is still doing today. The first thing I want you to see in Matthew chapter 4 is that when it comes to discipleship, Jesus is the one who initiates the relationship. I want you to look at the verbs in these early verses of Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. When it's talking about Jesus in verse 18, it says, Jesus, here's a verb, walking by the sea. Here's another verb. He saw. He's the one initiating this relationship. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Then you get down to the end of verse 21 when he gets to the other brothers. And at the end of verse 21 it says, and he called them. I want you to see when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus that Jesus is the one who initiates this relationship. Some of you are married here today. Somebody initiated that relationship. Was it her? Was she the one who just couldn't resist you and she had to have you? She initiated. I don't, when you're in a relationship, somebody initiated that relationship. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, he's the one who initiates that relationship. It's interesting as you, as you go and you, and, and, you, and you read into this text and understand what was going on in that Jewish custom. It was the Jewish custom of that day for the students to go searching out their master, their rabbi, their teacher. It was the responsibility of the students to go figure out, who do I want to be my guide? Who do I want to be the one leading me? This is just backwards. Instead of the disciples, instead of the students going after the teacher, it's the teacher, it's the master, it's the man himself coming after them. I want you to know today that if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, he has initiated it. He has started what needs to be done in order for you to be one of his disciples. But when Jesus is walking along this Sea of Galilee, I found it interesting that Josephus, a, an early historian, an early Jewish historian, talked about those, those events in the first century. Josephus indicated that on the Sea of Galilee at that, at that time, in that, in that time period, there would have been about 330 fishing vessels on the Sea of Galilee. When I heard that, that just changed this, that changed the whole picture of this scene. And I just, you know, I pictured walking along the shore and there's, there's a couple boats with some guys. No, 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 no. History would indicate there are 330 or so fishing vessels on the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> then why did Jesus pick these guys? Second thing, Jesus not only initiates the relationship, Jesus identifies those individuals that he wants to be his disciples. He initiated the relationship, but he identified the ones that he wanted to follow him. Look at what happens here. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and it says he saw 
two brothers. He sees a whole lot more than just two people on that, on that seashore. If Josephus is right, even if half of Josephus is right, and there's only, what, 165 boats, it, why these guys? He saw them. He identified them. He knew them to be brothers. But I want you to see it's not just that he saw the two brothers. He saw what they were doing. In verse 18, these individuals were casting a net. You get down to verse 21, and he sees these other two brothers. Why these two brothers? There's other guys out there. Why these two brothers? Because what are they doing? The Bible says they are mending their nets. Jesus wants you to be one of his disciples. He initiates the relationship. But Jesus identifies those he wants to be his disciples as individuals who are already working. Individuals who are already busy at things going on in service. I want you to think about that. When he's walking on the seashore, maybe there's other fishermen on there that are just kind of lazy. Maybe he sees some other fishermen that are not active in casting nets and mending nets, but instead he sees these guys are serious about what they're doing. He says, I need some guys who are serious about what they're doing. You read the book of Amos. Why did God, when did God choose Amos to be a, a prophet? Amos says, he chose me when I was a sheep herder, a sheep breeder, uh, and out there in the field. Well, why did he choose, why, why did he choose David? When did he choose David to be, to, be his, to be his man? Well, David says, he was out in the field with the sheep. Here's somebody already busy at work, and Jesus identifies him. If Jesus were coming along today to initiate a relationship, he's done that. He was coming along today to identify individuals. Would he, if there's 330 out there, would he choose you? Would he see you and say, that's the one that I want? When you see what Jesus is doing, what his part in being his disciple is, I want you to see that when Jesus is looking at these disciples, that Jesus positions himself. And he positions the disciples to follow after him. He says to both of these groups to follow me. And you get over to chapter 10 and verse 20, 10 and verse 38, and he says, I want you to follow after me. That shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, that we're not the ones out in front. It shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus comes along to identify those who are going to be his disciples, that he puts himself out in front, and then he says, I want you to follow me. I, what Jesus is saying is, I want, a, I want you to have a personal attachment to me. I want you to personally surrender to me. I want you to permanently commit yourself to me. He wasn't just saying, hey, guys, I want, let's go for a stroll on the beach for a little while. No, he's not wanting to go for a stroll. He's positioning himself and positioning his disciples to come after him. And at least six times in the book of Matthew, you're going to read this word from the lips of Jesus. Follow me. Follow me. Are, are we doing that today? Have we positioned Jesus where he belongs? He's positioned us. Are we following him? It's not only that Jesus positions himself and positions his disciples after, them, after him, but Jesus patterns himself. He says, follow me. It was not the responsibility of the teacher. It was not the responsibility of Jesus to conform himself to the disciples. Well, 
You know, I'm from heaven. I'm not from around here, right? Maybe I need to just see what these guys are like and kind of conform myself to them and, and become a part of this, uh, this culture here so that I can fit in. No, Jesus says, I'm the pattern. Jesus says, I'm not to conform to you. You are to conform to me. And so he tells these men, I want you to follow me. First Peter chapter 2, you know the text. Bible says that Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, that Jesus, that we're to follow in his steps. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps. He's patterned himself. Whenever, I, I, I cannot help when I read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 about following in his steps, I, that, that just, that vividly reminds me of vacations out to, out to Montana, to Glacier National Park, vacations with my parents out to Alaska. My dad, my dad worked his, uh, David Leip would say, this, ha, this is how David Leip would say it. He said, my, David Leip would say, he worked his liver out. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what my dad did. My dad worked his liver out. My dad worked hard about, about 11, 11 and a half months out of the year so that he could take his family on vacation. And we would drive from South Florida to Colorado, to Wyoming, to Montana, twice drew from South drove from South Florida to Alaska. That's 5,000 miles one way, by the way, with three sisters in the car, by the way, just saying. So, but I, I cannot help but think about going out on those glacier fields going out on those snow-covered mountains. You know how many snow-covered mountains we've got in South Florida? Well, we've got Space Mountain, and we've got uh, Thunder Mountain, and we've got some of those mountains, but we don't have snow. But we'd walk out on those fields, and my dad would walk in the front, and he'd put his foot down into the, into the snow, into the ice, and we'd just come along behind him and put our foot in the same place because we knew that was a safe spot. Jesus patterns himself, and he's left us an example that we would follow in his steps. Are we doing that? Jesus, in his part in our discipleship, he has enrolled us. He's enrolled us. What has he enrolled us in? He has enrolled us in something that involves work, Something that involves service. What does he say to them? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This wasn't some, some life of ease that he was calling his disciples into. He was calling them. Luke's account says, I want you to catch men. Luke chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. I'm calling you to catch men. Well, who better, who better to catch men than guys who've been spending their whole life catching fish? Hey, they know how to do it, don't they? But that now the thing is, instead of getting the fish out of a boat, uh, out of the water and into a boat, now their job is to go into the world and get men out of darkness and into his kingdom. Similar, but different. He identified these workers. He positioned them behind me and said, I, get, I need you to get behind me. I need you to follow, pattern yourself, following in my steps, and here's the work I have for you to do. The work I have for you to do is to be fishers of men. I need you to catch men. You've been so successful. I've been standing here on the shore watching you, perhaps. You've been so successful in getting those fish out of the water into the boat. 
more important than that, I need you to get souls out of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. That's what I need you to do. Have you been enrolled? Have you been enrolled by Jesus as one of His disciples? Here's the last thing I want to share with you about what Jesus' part has been in our discipleship. Not only has He enrolled us in this work, Jesus equips us for this work. Maybe some of you have been in this position where you started a job and you really didn't know what was involved in that job, but there wasn't anybody around there to tell you. You got hired to a new position and you show up for work and, all right, here's your job. Okay, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Oh, you, you, you'll figure it out. What do you mean I'll figure it out? What am I supposed to do? Oh, well, you, you know, you, you'll, you'll get the hang of it. Get the hang of what? I don't know what I'm doing. It's interesting when you go to Mark's account of this same, of this same occasion. In Mark's account, Jesus says, I will make you to become fishers of men. I'm going to make you, you're fishers of fish now. I'm going to make you fishers of men. But it wasn't just that Jesus took them out and said, here, you're hired, dropped them off and said, okay, I've got to do, go and do some other things. Jesus equipped them for the work. Become indicates a process. When you read the three and a half year ministry of Jesus, were, did those disciples go through a process of learning? Were there times when you're scratching your head and you're looking at the disciples saying, guys, you should know this by now. What are you doing? You're arguing about who's the greatest? Come on! What's, what's wrong with you? It was a process. I will make you to become fishers of men. Recognizing that the work that the Lord has for us to do, it's not our work. It's His work. And his, because it is His work, He is going to help us to do it. You know the verse in Philippians chapter 2, where the Bible tells us in Philippians 2 verse 12, down in verse 13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in verse 12. Great, Lord, I'm supposed to work out. My, how am I supposed to do that? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We're not in this on our own. We're not trying to be one of his disciples on our own. He has enrolled us and he has equipped us. But I want you to take this, and we've already been making application as we've gone through this. But I want you to take those six things, keep those six things in mind. I want you to take that, and I want you to think about our part. What's our part in being his disciple? We've seen what Jesus has done. Jesus initiated the relationship. What's my part? Jesus, because he has initiated the relationship, Jesus calls for my immediate and unconditional decisiveness to follow him. That's a lot of words, but I want you to think about that. With both sets of brothers. Look in verse 20. What was the response in verse 20? The second word I have in verse 20, they immediately did what Jesus said. The second word I've got in verse 22 says, and immediately. Did the disciples say, hey, you know, Lord, I need to think about that for a little while? No. Did the disciples say, hey, Lord, that, that sounds good. You know, I need to go figure out, you know, how I'm going to handle this? No. Did they say, hey, Lord, that sounds... No, they didn't say anything. They heard the call of Jesus, of Jesus. And they said, count me in. I'm there. Immediately, 
they responded. That's what Jesus wants from us. Jesus says, look at the offers you have. You've got the offer from Jesus. You've got the offer, the offer from Jesus who has surrendered his life on the cross, given himself up for us, for our sins, so that we can spend an eternity in heaven. Or you've got the offer of the devil to spend an eternity in hell with him. Jesus said, go ahead, look at the options. But why are you spending so long looking at the options? They're not even close. They're not anything, there's not anything in the devil's camp that's worthwhile, but everything following Jesus is worthwhile. If you're here today and you're not a disciple of Jesus, can I ask you, what are you waiting for? You see, one of the things about being an outsider, a guest speaker, I don't know anybody here. I don't know who you are, where, you, where you've been. I don't know your background. I stare at, at you in the, in the face right now. I don't know who's a Christian here and who's not a Christian here. I, I, I have no idea. I don't know who's a disciple here and who's not. And so if you're not a disciple of Jesus, what are you waiting for? It's that question that Ananias asks all. Why are you waiting? And if you can write down an answer to that question, why am I waiting? And then look at what Jesus is offering you. The choice ought to be really clear. He wants me to come after him. And he wants me now. You know what I mentioned before about your wife initiating that relationship because she just had to have you and she was going to chase after you until she got you? Jesus wants you. He has come after you. He desires a relationship with you. He's done everything he can to initiate that relationship and now he's sitting and waiting for you. What's holding you back? He wants your immediate and unconditional decisiveness. Jesus is the one who identifies his workers. And so when it comes to our part, Jesus is the one, and I, I thought, did I have that line up there already? Jesus is the one who calls for my absolute surrender. Jesus is the one who calls for my absolute wholehearted surrender to him. Not half-hearted. He's not looking for me to just come in this part way. He wants me to come in with both feet. Look at what they do. And, and, and I, I'm, I, this is all from this text. The Bible says, look in verse 20. They immediately left their nets. Do you see the S on the end of nets? What, what nets did they leave? Oh, they, they, they left all of them. What about Peter? What about James and John in verse 20? Immediately they left the boat. If you had a boat, do you have a boat? Do you have a boat? I, I'm just curious. If you had a boat, would you leave it behind? They left their boat. They left their father. They followed him. If you read over in Luke's account, same, same, same uh, parallel account in Luke chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, over there it says, they left all and followed him. That's what the Lord is looking for from us. He's looking for us to leave all 
to look at those things that would separate us from him, look at those things that would take our devotion away from him, and to say those aren't as valuable as a relationship with Jesus Christ is, and that's what I want. That's what I'm going to pursue. Re regardless of what others think, regardless of what others say, that's what I want. That's what I need. Is that where you are today? Is it, when we talk about not accepting that relationship that he wants with you? Is he looking at you and saying, that needs to be put out of the way. That has become more important to you than me. But it's worth it. And Jesus wants us to know that it's worth it. Following him might be costly. In, 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 in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said that there would be separation of family. And you even see that with James and John. They left their father behind. But go over to Matthew chapter 9, real quick, 19, sorry. Go over to Matthew chapter 19. We'll come right back to Matthew chapter 4. But in Matthew chapter 19, oh, there's so much here. I, I, sometimes as a preacher, you want to put something in context and you try to figure out how far back in a verse to go to put it in context. It's like, well, you've got to go back to Genesis to try to put this into context. But Jesus says in verse 23 that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the disciples in verse 25 were greatly astonished. They well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said in verse 26, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So Peter answered and said, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Peter says it. Lord, we're following after you. We've left everything to find. Lord, then what, what is in this for us? Verse 29 is where I wanted us to get. Jesus says, listen, he's saying this to you. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands. Is there anything left? Whoever has made that wholehearted sacrifice to follow after me shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. You're going to have the most blessed life on this earth, a hundredfold. You might have to forsake family. You might have to look at family you love dearly, but you want to follow Jesus instead of following after them. And he says, look at this family right here that I have for you right here you will receive a hundredfold. And I'm looking around and saying, no, you're going to receive 200-fold, 300-fold compared to what you leave behind. It is worth the sacrifice. He wants you. He's done everything possible to get you. Jesus has positioned himself, and he's telling you, telling you to follow after him, and so what he wants is for you to follow after him. He wants you to prioritize your relationship with Him. Above all other relationships, He wants you to prioritize that relationship with Him and to make a commitment to Him. Say, that's what I'm... This is what the disciples do. They immediately left all, and the Bible says they followed Him. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. He says, follow, and what they do? Follow. He says, James and John, follow. What they do? They followed isn't it, I mean, that's so simple, but they didn't tweak it. They didn't say, Lord, I know that's what you're saying, but look, this is how we do things around here. Maybe this will work for you. No, this is what he wants. This is what I'm going to give him. I'm going to submit to him 
because of what He has done for me, because of who He is to me, because of what He will provide for me ultimately, and I need to set Him above everything else. We know the verse in Matthew 6, verse 33, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But does that just mean that what I do is I just make a list of everything in my life? And I, I, are you, do you like lists? You, you like make, I know people who like lists so much that they have lists of their lists. You know, they, they, they like lists, and then they make a, 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 a master list of all of their other lists. So if you were to make a list of all the things you've got in your life, is it just that Jesus is saying, when you make that list, just make sure I'm on the top of the list. That's all I'm asking for. Does he just want to be on the top of the list? Or does he want to be the whole list? When I make a list of, well, I've got my job over here, does that mean that Jesus isn't a part of my job? Well, I've got my recreation over here. Does that mean that Jesus isn't a part of my recreation? When Jesus says that he wants to be first in our lives, it means he needs to be my entire life. Paul would say in Philippians 1 and verse 21, for me to live, to breathe, to exist, to do anything, for me to live is Christ. Is that us? Are we following after him exactly as he would want us to do? He has patterned himself as the one that we are to imitate. Are we fully imitating him? When people look at us, when people look at us, do they see Jesus? I love Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Here's Peter and John on trial in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. And, and, and they're on trial before the Sanhedrin. And, and this passage says to us that the Sanhedrin looked at them, they listened to them, and the end of the verse says they realized something. Aha! We know who you are. They realized that these men had been with Jesus. When somebody looks at us, would they know that we've been with Jesus? Do you, know any, do you know any older couples? Not anybody here, because I don't see any older couples here, but may, I'm just talking in general. Do you know any older couples that they start to look like each other? They start to act like each other? They start to emulate? When you've been married for 50, 60, 70 years, and that's the person you've spent your life with, you've been around them so much, you become alike, don't you? Maybe. I mean, it depends, right? Who are they rooting for in football? Uh, we won't be alike entirely, but maybe a little bit. Do you, know, do you know any sons that when you look at them, you're like, you look just like your dad. And when you hear them talk, it's like, you sound just like your dad. How is that? Because they've been together so much, they're like each other. In Acts 4 and verse 13, they looked at these guys. You've been with Jesus, haven't you? I can tell. You look like him, you sound like him. Would people say that about us? Are we patterning ourselves? That's what Jesus calls for. He is calling for my personal and complete imitation, that I will look like him. That when people look at me, yeah, they'll see David, yeah, they'll see a husband, yeah, they'll see a preacher, they'll see a father, they'll see a... But do they see Jesus living in me? That's what he wants. Jesus has enrolled us. That's what he has done. What's our part? Our part is to be diligent workers. Our part is to be enthusiastic workers. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter says to those Christians, he says, giving all diligence... 
Listen to that. Giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue and virtue, knowledge and knowledge. He goes on in those Christian graces, but at the beginning of verse 5, he says, I need you to give all diligence to grow as a Christian. And I just find it amazing. Only God could do this. When you get, in, you get to the end of the Christian graces, and he says, these things need to be yours and abound. And then you get over to verse 10, and he says, and being even more diligent. <laughs> Lord, I gave you all of my diligence over here in verse 5, all right? Now over here in verse 10, you're saying, even more diligent? Does God know sometimes if you've got a little bit more gas in the tank? Does he know sometimes if you've got a little bit more energy to give? Does God know sometimes if you've got a little bit more time to use for him? He has called for my diligent work and my enthusiasm. I should be excited to be a Christian. It is the best life on earth. It's not some life. We'll talk about this this afternoon after lunch. I hope you're staying for lunch and you'll be here this afternoon. We'll talk about this a little bit this afternoon. But I shouldn't look at the Christian life as just some kind of a drudgery. Oh, man, i, I got to be a Christian. i got to do this. I can't do No, 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 no. Being a Christian, Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about right now. And so I ought to be enthusiastic. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Paul says he calls for us to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's not just in the volume of what I do. That's in the heart of what I do. I need to abound in my heart and my love and my joy for serving my Lord. Can you imagine if Peter, Andrew, James, and John, when Jesus said, follow me, can you imagine if they did what... None of the kids here, but I've seen some kids, and I know none of the kids here, but I've seen some kids when, you know, when mom and dad say, come on, it's time to go, they'll be like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm all right, I hear you, I'm fine, I'm coming. Can you imagine the disciples doing that? Fine, Jesus, all right, we're coming. You, is that the mental picture you have? No, that's not the mental picture I have. I've had the picture, follow me, yep, yep, net's gone. All right, we're ready, let's go. That's what he wants from us, to be enthusiastic about being one of his children, about being his disciple. Are you enthusiastic? Do you find great satisfaction? More satisfaction than Texas winning last... Oh, never mind, I didn't mention that. Do you find more satisfaction in serving the Lord than anything else in life? And then what does he do? He equips us. He makes us ready. And so what's my part? Jesus calls for my humble and my patient cooperation in his service. Does fishing, does fishing take patience? Have you been fishing before? Does fishing take patience? Oh, when I've been fishing, I, I have to practice a lot of patience because I'm one of those people that wants results like right now, yesterday. Fishing takes patience. What about fishing with somebody else in the boat? Does that take patience? Uh-huh. Does that take cooperation? Uh, when are you going to ca you casting at the same time, casting in the same place, crossing your lines? Does that take cooperation? See, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these guys had already been working together. They had already been partners before Jesus came. Now, Jesus calls them together, and now their cooperation, it, they were cooperated before Jesus, but now they're cooperating for Jesus. Now they're going to work together 
for the cause of Christ. And what that requires is humility to follow after Christ. I think about these, think about this text, and I could not help the other day about thinking about Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul begins Ephesians chapter 4, and he describes himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Paul was literally at that time a prisoner of Rome. But he says figuratively, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I belong to Christ. Does that take humility to say that? Yeah. I need to humble myself before my Lord. And then he goes on to talk to these Christians in Ephesians 4 about as, as a prisoner of the Lord, he calls upon them to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's what we're talking about today. Walking worthy of the calling with which Jesus has called us to follow after him. Verse 2, it says, with all lowliness and gentleness. Is that us? With all long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. You see, it's one thing to be a disciple of Jesus. It's another thing to be one of the disciples of Jesus. That calls upon me to be long-suffering with each other. That calls upon me to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Some disciples are stronger than others. Some, dis some disciples are more eager than others. And yet we're all striving to go in the same direction. We're all following after Jesus in the same footsteps. He has put his foot down, and what are we doing? We're, try we're all trying to put our foot in the same place that so that we can follow after him and be pleasing in his sight. And what does he tell us? While we are working together, he's working in us. He's making that difference. I want you to think about what Jesus has done so that you can be a disciple. And I want you to think about what your part has been in being his disciple. If Jesus were to come back again, and I know he is, but if Jesus were to come in modern day to live here, perhaps for the first time, and he called some people to follow him, would you be one of those people? And if he had said to you, follow me, what would you have done? And if you had found out what it was going to cost after you started following him, what would you have done? And when you saw him die on a cross, what would you have done? But then when you saw him raised from the dead, what would you have done? Jesus wants you so desperately to be in a relationship with him. He came and died on that cross for you so that you might give your life to him. Not just today. Not just to go on the stroll down the Sea of Galilee that day and have a nice conversation. Those disciples knew that. They knew that they were giving up and committing themselves to him for a long time. Have you committed yourself to him? Jesus calls them one by one. Neil and Kathy, Hiram and Brittany. Next came Andre, Nadia too, Matthew and Bartholomew. Yes, Jesus called them. And they all followed him. Is your name in his song? He's called you. Are you following him?
Are you giving Him your all? There's a song, there's a verse, I think it's in Trust and Obey. I think it's the fourth verse of Trust and Obey. You can check me on this, number 714. There's a verse in there that says, This world has nothing left to give. Think about that. It has no new, no pure delights. Oh, try the life which Christians live. Ah, be saved, oh, tonight. That's, oh, why not tonight? That's not trust and obey. That's, oh, why not tonight? Number 517. Sorry, missed the wrong song, but that's the right verse. The world has nothing left to give. Do you believe that? Why don't you try the life that Jesus has called you to? Why don't you be saved today? Why don't you do what Jesus has called you? Why don't you become what Jesus has called you to become? And why don't you become that today? He calls you to be his disciple by believing that he is the Son of God. That he truly did come and live that sinless life. God in the flesh on this earth, living that sinless life and then going to that cross. Not because he did anything wrong, but because we've done everything wrong. He died on that cross shedding his blood for you and for me. And they put him in that tomb and he was raised the third day. Do you believe that with all of your heart? If you believe that, the Bible says that that faith that you have in Jesus ought to lead you to repent of your sins and say, I don't want these sins anymore. These sins put Jesus on the cross. They're separating me from God. I want to turn away from those sins, turn my life in the direction of Christ. That's the decision of repentance. Are you ready to make that decision today? If you are, you can make what Paul called the good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And you can come in these waters right here. And you can be immersed into Christ, buried with Christ, in order at that moment, and not before, in order at that moment the blood of Jesus might wash away your sins, to be raised to walk in newness of life. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been baptized so that your sins were cleansed by the blood of Jesus? To be raised to walk a faithful life of service as his disciples. Ananias said to Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you're not one of his faithful disciples today, why don't you help this church make that right? even right now, as together we stand and sing.